HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome. This is Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. We're broadcasting live from the back of Roberta's in Bushwick at 261 Moore Street, where brunch is being served. And today I have a guest actually in studio. Um, His name is Gary Oppenheimer. Gary is the executive director and founder of AmpleHarvest.org. He has been named a CNN hero, the Huffington Post's greatest person of the day. That must make you feel pretty great, Gary. And the 2011 Game Changer, winner of the Russell Berry Foundation's Making a Difference Award. He was the winner of the Glenwood 2011 Wave of the Future Award. His organization, uh, AmpleHarvest.org, works with the USDA, the White House Let's Move Initiative, and uh, with Google, National Council of Churches, Broadway Cares, National Guarding Association, and food banks nationwide. You have developed a really interesting model, Gary, and I want you to tell us how AmpleHarvest.org got started and how it works. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you very much. How it got started, I grew up with my parents saying, finish what's on your plate. Kids are starving in Europe. <laughs> True. Yeah, I heard that's, that too. That's the origin <laughs> of it. Um, it got started when I was a director of a community garden in northern New Jersey, and people complained to me that food was being left in the garden. And I said, if we're going to have an ample harvest, the least we can do is give it to people who really need it. I had no idea that would end up changing the food system in the country and actually starting to be globally now. But the idea was that if you have food in your home garden or community garden or church garden or CSA or farmer's market, somebody should eat it. If mm-hmm. it's not going to be you, a friend, or somebody else, get it to the people in the community who most need it. The problem was it's finding a food pantry in your community in America is pretty much impossible. They're basically in the basement of a house of worship. They're in a YMCA. There's no big signs out front that say, food pantry here, we need your assistance. And it dawned on me that we could do something about it. So I effectively created what you might call a Google for the American food pantry system. And cool. it did two things. It actually it told the growers of America that there, were a, there was a food pantry in the community that really would like to get their excess produce. 
and here's how you find them. And it enabled the, the pantries in America to realize the growers in the community who wanted to share them. It's really just connecting the dots between an excess supply and a demand. Mm-hmm. And and how do you um, how do you deal with the infrastructural issues like uh, you know packaging the the produce out of somebody's garden and getting that produce to a food pantry or to a, a church uh, pantry or something like that because that's I mean in the in the real in the bigger world of agriculture for regional farmers it's very hard to get their stuff to market and that's because we don't have that regional infrastructure anymore of of production facilities or packaging facilities or, or, or trucking or whatever. So how do people just like drive in and drop it off? Literally, the magic of ampleharvest.org is we don't touch the food. We're not part right. of the transaction. So what a grower does is he or she finds that there's a food pantry at the church or whatever down the street or across town, and they take the food themselves straight to the food pantry. It's as simple as that. They uh-huh. can come in a box, a bag, or what have you. Uh, the food pantry receives it, and they turn around and distribute it to the needy in the community. So the, 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 there's no need for any transportation issues or packaging issues. It's all totally within the community. You may bring friend, a food over to a neighbor's house, and you really don't think about packaging or processing. You simply say, here's some food. It's going to neighbors you've never seen. Right. But it's, it's in the community. So tr- the transport is within the community. Some pantries will say, hey, we can come and pick it up. The majority of them will expect you to bring it to them. But again, it's in the neighborhood. My vision is that any grower in America should be able to find a food pantry within a 20-minute drive to the left or to the right. Texas is an exception. It's too big a state. Everybody drives an hour or more. But really, a 20-minute drive, you should be able to find a food pantry. And until we reach that point, we have a lot more work to do to get more of America's food pantries on board with ampleharvest.org, but we're making great progress. Well, the, the number of food pantries that exist in the United States has grown exponentially just in the last, what, f- since the economic downturn, I'm guessing. Yeah. Can you give us a sense of, like, how that's grown and yeah. expanded? In 2009, when I created ampleharvest.org, we were looking, the last numbers out were 28, give or take, thousand food pantries. The current numbers from Feeding America are over 33,500 food pantries. So the number of food pantries in the country has grown significantly because the need has grown significantly. Yeah. And uh, we right now are closing in on 6,000 of those food pantries in all 50 states that are a part of ampleharvest.org, which is a great start. One out of every six pantries in America is on ampleharvest.org. Wow. It also means that one out of every five, uh, five out of every six are not yet on ampleharvest.org. So, so you still have a lot to do. Yes. <laughs> and we know that. But we're working yeah. hard and the com- we're getting the communities actually actively involved uh, through virtual outreach efforts to say the solution to hunger is in your backyard. Here are the steps you can do to actually end it. Very interesting. Now, Gary, tell me what was – how did you like find the – how did you tell gardeners – that they could do this. I mean, okay, you connect with the food pantry, but then what do you do to get the, the local folks who are growing those vegetables, um, how do you make them aware of the fact that there is this opportunity in a pantry? There are a bunch of different ways. Number one, I'm really good at guerrilla marketing. There are all sorts of opportunities. The biggest piece, I think, has been Google has been an immense partner. We have a $40,000 a month advertising grant from Google month over month, and they've just been a wonderful partner to ampleharvest.org. And that's a big piece of the outreach, but not by any measure the entire piece of it. We have massive outreach to local media, whether it's radio or or, um, print media. Bloggers write about it. uh, Garden writers write about it. We have flyers that are on the website. 
that we encourage people to print out and take to a local garden shop, nursery, the YMCA, the supermarket. And the back of the flyer actually says to the shopkeeper, this is what it's all about. Please post it where people can see it. And the front of it actually talks to the grower and says that, that there's food in your garden. If there's more you need, take it to a food pantry. And there are tariffs on the bottom that take them to the ampleharvest.org website so they can find the food pantry nearest to them. There's, it's a multifaceted outreach. There's no one way to reach everybody. What a um, uh, 25-year-old person is going to be reading or learning from is different from what your grandmother is going to be reading or learning from. And we have to go out to the whole thing. A big part also, by the way, has been the faith community. 70% of food sure. pantries are in houses of worship. Mm-hmm. We've been endorsed and promoted by the National Council of Churches, for example, along with other faith communities. And so the word filters down from a preacher down to the people in the house of worship that they can get involved We've had immense support from the White House. Michelle Obama has both spoken and written about ampleharvest.org. The president's staff has worked to help us get other connections. The USDA has been – it's been a multifaceted approach, and it continues. I've done a TEDx presentation, CNN Hero, a whole episode of PBS's Growing a Greener World just on ampleharvest.org, and we're far from done. Wow. I mean, that's just dizzying. It really is. <laughs> Maybe because busy. you deliver it at such a high speed. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a native New Yorker. I can yeah, talk fast. Right. <laughs> It's great. It's fantastic. So, um, when when the season is over, what then? Like you, I mean, there is a growing season, and granted, you do this throughout the fifty states, as you said. But the growing season is is what it is. So, I'm going to give you two answers to that. The growing season is what it is, depending upon where you are. You have to remember, for example, in Florida, the growing season is the autumn, the winter, and the spring. Summer's too hot. Mm-hmm. So where you are in the country determines what you can grow. Alaska has a has a three- to four-week growing season, and obviously in the south it's much longer. So you donate what you can during your growing season. Actually, it's not the growing season. You're donating during the harvest, the harvest season. That's right. the important thing. But we do have a... Um, iPhone and an Android app so that you can go into the supermarket when you're doing your shopping. If you see something on sale, whether it's produce or store-bought or produce, um, I'm sorry, packaged stuff, you can choose to buy something and find which pantry says they really, really need that. But there's another avenue that's open also that we run a promotion every autumn called the um, Centerpieces for Pantries. As people get ready for the end of the year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, or even big events like weddings during the year, We encourage people, instead of putting out floral arrangements on everybody's table, which is actually environment, it's pretty, but environmentally not really smart, put out baskets of whole fruit, let it grace your table one day, and then donate it to the pantry the next. I mean, you get double use out of it, and that's how the flow can continue. Realistically, the food is not going to be coming as a steady stream from a community. You're right, people don't grow in the winter. Ampleharvest.org is not a year-round thing. It's simply there to try to connect the available excess food to the demand when that available excess food is actually available. And that's it. You know, right. Otherwise, you do have to ship food in from other places, and that's just the reality of how our food system works. Absolutely. <clears throat> really fascinating. And so let's, let's hear how Ample Harvest is going to expand. Where are you going to go next? Like, How are you going to build this out more? <sighs> A lot of hard work. <laughs> um, we're continuing to add pantries all the time. We're continuing to do the outreach to the growers. Uh, we're looking at adding other programs onto ampleharvest.org as the funding comes in. We want to get a program out called Produspedia, which will allow the grower to tell the pantry and therefore the client, the pantry client, what it is they're getting. You know, the crim tomatoes that I grew, and crim tomatoes, if you don't know, happen to be almost black. 
are not poisonous. They're not bad. This is just the natural color. Sure. Or the Icelandic tomatoes, which are white. So there'll be documentation going. That's one thing. We'd like to get a, a program in place ultimately to connect large uh, growers to local gleaning organizations. We also have lots of partnerships with other organizations. So that's one piece. And another piece is we're helping the model go global. Other countries look at Ample Harvest Auto and say, wow, that's great. Can you help us? The answer is yes. So we spend time with them saying, this is what ampleharvest.org is. This is the model. This is how it was built. These are the tweaks you might want to look at in your legal system, your cultural, whatever. This is what it is. Now go make your own. And it's starting to replicate on a global scale. There's no Food waste is a global issue. We waste a horrific amount of food in America. The National Resource Defense Council just said 40% of the food in this country is not consumed. And that's I, that's an understatement, actually. Well, but we're going to talk about that in a second after the break. Okay. But let's stay with what you're going to be doing to to go forward and to bringing this around the world. And and how and and you just mentioned something about legal issues. What kind of legal issues are you referring to? This is a rather litigious country, and people will sue if you sneeze. Um, President Clinton fortunately signed something called the Emerson Food Safety Act. That's the abridged version of the name. It basically indemnifies people who donate food to a nonprofit. So if you were to donate food to a, a food pantry, a food bank, a soup kitchen, and if somebody got sick through no fault of your own, you've done nothing wrong, there's nothing malicious or inadvertent, it's unfortunate they got sick, but you're protected. You can't be sued. If you if you do something to the food itself, of course, then you can get right. um, uh, prosecuted. So that piece of legal protection is critical in the United States. As it turns out, when I've spoken to people in other countries, some other countries say, we don't need that. We don't sue each other all the time. So it's on a country-by-country basis, but at least the donor should know that he or she can donate the food. And if somebody were to get sick – and an example I like to give is if you harvest food and you bring it in your kitchen – and you put it next to a bowl of peanuts in your kitchen. There's nothing wrong with that. You take the food to the pantry, and somebody with a severe peanut allergy gets sick because the allergens went over. It's sad, but you are not at fault legally, and that's mm-hmm. the important protection. Some states have even higher levels of protection in the United States, but um, um, that's the minimal one. The other thing that we're starting to get contacted about are tax issues, which are kind of interesting because people don't think that you get a tax deduction for donating your food. And the reality is, from the IRS's perspective, if you can establish the fair market value of the food, it's like you're donating a car or clothing. Wow. You can get a tax deduction. And we've now been contacted by some states who are looking at enacting their own legislation towards the same end. That's really cool. I mean, that really is an interesting point. I mean, we should let's, let's expand on that a little bit because basically what that means is that if you buy a bag of groceries – or if you bring in your own harvest, whatever it is. But if you're donating to a food bank, you can establish what the price is. Do f- are food banks equipped to give um, tax vouchers the way the Salvation Army does? Or At this point, no. And we're actually going to be looking th- to add a piece uh-huh. on Ample Harvest that will do that very thing to enable the uh, donor to come in with a piece of paper that says, this is what I've brought in, this is the amount, this is the item, this is the value, and have the food pantry itself actually... Uh, sign off. And by the way, I need to make a clarification. We're using the word food pantry, which is the proper term, but in some places around America, you may find the word food cupboard, food shelf, food closet, or even food bank used. Yes. Um, we're talking about the community, the place in the community where people come for food. So if you're hearing right. food pantry, but you're in Vermont and it's a food cupboard, we're still talking about you two in Vermont. Okay. <laughs> well, let's take a short break and we'll be right back with Gary Oppenheimer from ampleharvest.org. This is Straight No Chaser and stay tuned for more. Okay, so. My bell will always be my 
Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. You know, there's no more telling aspect, no more revealing virtue of a group of people having evolved in a lovely way than how they feed themselves, how they entertain, how they put food on the table, what they put on the table. Heritage Radio Network provides the clearest evidence that there's hope for us yet. Heritage Radio is like Fairway Market in that we both care deeply about what you're having for dinner tonight. Heritage Radio Network is not just about food, though. Every time I tune in, I learn something about things other than food, too. Architecture, design, stuff like that. But from where I stand, I still say, if you can't eat it, what's the point? For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. We're back. This is Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and in the studio with me today is Gary Hoppenheimer, the executive director of AmpleHarvest.org. And we're going to talk, in this segment, we're going to talk a little bit about food waste in America. Gary, you were mentioning earlier that the NRDC, which is the National Resources Defense Council, just came out with a huge report on food waste and and the issue of wasting food versus hunger and the environmental impacts of same. So can you tell us a little bit about... Um, you know, just how much food waste we're, we're engaging in. They're saying 40%. I've heard that elsewhere. What, what's going on? What is that about? How come we're wasting food? We're careless with it, I think. And it's not, there's no one person or group you can point to. I think that the food waste, it starts at the farm and ends in your kitchen. It's all across the way. Some of the stuff you can't avoid the waste if, if mice are eating the food, that something happens. If there's spoilage from bad weather or, or something else. Every step along the way, there's been food waste, but the NRDC is saying 40% of the food is not consumed, actually. And part so of it is... in other words, that's food that has come to the point of being able to be consumed and is not being consumed. Theoretically... So that's not even talking about farm, what happens on farm. That's talking about literally food that has been packaged, that's been put into shelves, put into people's well, no, homes. That does include food. For example, a farmer may discover that this particular crop of carrots is not the right size or shape for oh. the market. Oh, my God. And and so the, he'll just leave it in the ground. Mm-hmm. And there are gleaning organizations that will actually – and we're going to be doing work to promote that. But uh, that's food he can't bring to the market. He just leaves it. Yeah. That's food waste. Somebody could have eaten it. It may not have been perfectly pretty or just the right length. But um, uh, somebody could have actually – Why wouldn't something like – why wouldn't a crop like that go right into industrial food processing? Like, uh, you know, somebody who makes soups or stocks or something like that. You know, like a Campbell's food thing where it doesn't matter what size your because carrot the, is. Because the buyer happened to be somebody from a particular store or company that said, we want seven-inch carrots. And if it's under seven inches, don't talk to us. I've had a farmer who called me up from Pennsylvania about two years ago. He said, I'm under contract to be selling uh, – to grow and deliver corn that's at a certain length. And some of my ears are shorter. And I've been leaving it, in, 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 uh, leaving it. The and I said, can I give it to a food painter? He said, absolutely, yes, please do. If it's edible, if it's wholesome, it can be um, uh, given to a food painter. And by the way, it goes to an, an important point that the uh, one question that should be discussed is the quality of the food. Particularly in homegrown food, the standard we set is if you would feed it to your family, you can give it to a food pantry. If the farmer has food also that is edible and wholesome and appealing but just not the right thing for the market it could still go to a food pantry and it really should go to a food pantry because otherwise you end up having a situation where the waste is it's just accumulating all over the place we have a bizarre circumstance where a food pantry in georgia may well be getting canned peaches coming in from new jersey while trees in georgia are brimming with peaches it's doesn't make any sense yeah that's that's totally crazy um 
I'm, I'm still struggling with this idea of a farmer leaving a crop in the ground because it's, his contract is seven inches. Why wouldn't he right, go right away to like the Jolly Green Giant and say, hey, man, you know, use my carrots, cut them up. I mean, I, I would still want to make money on my crop. I would agree. I'm not a farmer, and I can't answer that question. I can mm. tell you that one interesting telling point in the NRDC report was a farmer who actually found that the carrots he had were not being accepted by the buyer. And he actually cut the carrots down to make baby carrots out of them. And he actually sold them at a higher price per pound than the original <laughs> thing. The point is the opportunity to, is, is, is there. And in this case, this farmer had a very smart and creative way of doing it. Yeah. And if we look all around us, the opportunity is massive. So this 40% number did not include the food that's in home gardens because right. nobody knows what that is. But the reality is we all know growers who've woken up one morning to too many zucchini or too many tomatoes or what have you. And they don't know what to do with it. Um, there's a... As a reality on the ground that there are places where people will actually um, find food left on the front door. Cars in the south are left locked in the parking lot, not because they're afraid it's going to be stolen, but they don't want to come back to a car full of zucchini that someone else is trying to unload. <laughs> we have this opportunity for the food, and instead of trying to f- either waste it or find somebody to force it on, we can instead get to the people who are desperately needing it. And it should be yeah. pointed out the food pantries in America, by and large, don't have fresh food because the, the food bank network can't handle it. And this is where the local grower is the perfect solution to a systemic problem on a national scale. Right. Let me ask you this, which we didn't address before when we were talking about um, getting food into pantries. You know, I, I've, I've worked with a food pantry. I work uh, quite often with St. John's Bread and Life. I was giving culinary demonstrations for them all fall until I busted my wrist. And, um, and they got, you know, gorgeous produce. But the thing is, is that they, they have a big volume of customers and they need a large volume of vegetables. So when you're aggregating like, uh, you know, 10 pounds of zucchini from this guy and five pounds of tomatoes from that guy, like how do you get enough critical mass to be able to actually distribute this equitably amongst the food pantry clients? I mean, that to me seems like one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle that I haven't really figured out the answer to yet. I'm not as sure it's a question of equitable distribution. I think the bigger question is simply no wasted food. If all the food in the community is being grown and consumed by the homeowner, mm-hmm. it's, there's no food waste. This is the issue of the excess food. You get that food into the pantry, and then the pantry just divvies it up. Maybe it's first come, first serve, or, or whatever. Right. Um, we want to take advantage of this nutrition opportunity that America has the, and, and frankly, not everybody wants everything. I mean, some, I don't like sweet potatoes. And if somebody brought in sweet potatoes, I, I personally really wouldn't, wouldn't be eating them. And another important point, the amount of food you bring in isn't really important. It's that you bring it in if you have it. There's that, that uh, um, stone soup story that a, right. a lot of people know. And little bits all aggregate together and you end up with a solution for the entire community. No one themselves is going to feed the whole community, but a community can actually feed itself. Amazing. So let's let's go back to this whole concept about food waste and the 40% figure that the NRDC just came up with. Um, you mentioned on your website uh, the environmental impact of wasted food. Can you give us like a sense of what that means? What 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 do you mean by an environmental impact? What do you what's ha- okay. what happens? And I wear a different hat. Here I am, or also a Rutgers environmental steward in town, environmental commissioner. When food is trucked in from across the country, from wherever, there's a carbon footprint that gets applied to that. It's sure. costing energy and time to get it. So right off the bat, you've got that. But the food that's being trucked in comes packaged. So there's also packaging with that. Yep. Now, once that food gets to the food pantry, it's distributed to somebody. The packaging gets thrown away, so your waste stream has been increased. That's problem number one. Problem number two is the carbon footprint. But problem number three are the growers who didn't donate their food, and the ones who choose not or are not allowed to compost end up throwing that extra food into the trash, and into the garbage. When food is thrown into the garbage, 
in, a, in an anaerobic environment in a trash dump, vegetative material breaks down into methane. A pound of food becomes a pound of methane, which is the equivalent of 20 pounds of CO2 being released into the atmosphere. So this wasted food actually creates three different environmental problems, a waste stream problem, a carbon footprint problem, and a methane or climate change problem, all of which tend to be diminished or go away if you simply use that food locally the right way. Plus, the reality is you feel good and you're doing something for your community. You get the chance to reach into your backyard instead of your back pocket to help your neighbors in need. I love that. Talk about a soundbite, Gary. Okay. <laughs> Joe, are you writing all this down? <laughs> That's awesome. So you said there's no biggest culprit in food waste, but I, I'm, I must ask you, what about institutions? What about restaurants? What about hospitals, which I know throw out tons of food because I've spent enough time visiting people in the hospital to know they basically, unless it's a very special place, they really don't eat the food unless they absolutely have to. I think... Th- Everybody has, a, has, has a, some responsibility in this, mm-hmm. and it is the institutions, it is the farms, it's the stores. Too many people complain that they go to the back of the store and the dumpster is full of food. Yeah. But it's, it's yourself, too. People order food in a restaurant and don't finish what's on their plate or take the, the servings home. They buy stuff for their, for their home use and don't use it all. They throw cans away when the expiration date appears, even though the food is still perfectly wholesome. I'm not going to point a finger at any one place. I'm just going to say that there's a solution where I can point a finger at, and that's the locally grown food that can be salvaged in the community. We're not talking to any big manufacturers or big store chains or big farmers. Plenty of other people can talk to them about solutions. We have one where the community can actually do something about itself, and to the extent that we can solve that problem, it's one less problem for America. Yeah. And the world. I think that's awesome. So are there, do you have plans to like expand uh, awareness nationally about this issue of food waste and how, I mean, how do you, you know, it goes back to what you do to promote ampleharvest.org, but like what are, how to bring people's attention literally to the concept of food waste? Because I don't think Americans really think about how much they waste. It's a huge problem. And at this moment, this radio show is a perfect timing because a movie has just been released on March 1 called The Place at the Table. And I encourage everybody to see it. And it really talks to the scope of hunger and malnutrition in America. But it also ties immediately into not so much that uh, one out of six Americans need food help. And by the way, that's one out of four children growing up in a home without enough food. Or one out of three children if you're Hispanic. But it also points to the food waste problem that contributes to it. And we actually now have a program. Ampleharvest.org is in partnership with participant media who did uh, Place at the Table. So that you see the movie and then you can come right to ampleharvest.org. And we actually have a step-by-step solution for ending that part of the problem in your own community. So if you go to ampleharvest.org forward slash a place at the table, you will be able to be walked through the steps of what you need to do to get the pantries and the growers in your community matched up to each other whether you're in New York City or you're in a small little community across the country. Food waste is something that is a problem that we should not have to live with, and it's a problem that we can actually solve, and it's no reason that we don't do that. Yeah, it's interesting. I'd love to see some figures on how much food other countries waste, and I bet it's... <laughs> you, would, you would be stunned. India yeah. has massive food waste, and no. you think in a country where we grew up thinking everybody's hungry, or many people are hungry, it's a huge It's a global issue. But uh, we, I don't think it's the type of thing we should try to tackle on a global scale. I think we need to tackle it on, on a community level, but across the world. Right. That's really where the – because any individual can take ownership of what's going on in their own community. You have to let the next community take care of their own. But if that's done on a, all across the place, you solve it. Fantastic. Well, unfortunately, we have to wrap up the show now. So, Gary, I want you to promote your cause, your website, any books, any blogs, and tell people how to get involved themselves. Okay. 
First, it's ampleharvest.org. Please do visit the site. If you want to learn more about it, you can also go to ampleharvest.org forward slash TEDx to see a TEDx presentation I had done. Um, I have not actually had the time to do a blog, and I'm embarrassed to say that. Ampleharvest.org has been so time-consuming, it's long overdue. The other thing, to, in terms of getting involved, the best thing you can do right now is go to ampleharvest.org forward slash a place at the table and simply start the steps that walks you through the four steps to basically end food waste and hunger in your own community. And it's something where you'll be able to... And by the way, the ending of this food waste is not something that happens just while you're doing it. It's for the rest of your gardening life. It's a permanent end. You're ending hunger for good. Wow, that's really inspiring, Gary, i got to say. Now, as far as the place as the table goes... Um my listeners should know that uh, not next week, but the week after that, Peter Pringle is coming on this show. He wrote; he is the editor of the book that accompanies the movie A Place at the Table, so he has an, a, diff- a slightly different take on the whole proge- project. Um, but next week, my friends, uh, the wonderful, the amazing Winona Howder, uh, the director of the Food and Water Watch, will be here to discuss her new book, Foodopoly, which came out in January. And she will also be talking to us a little bit about how the sequester in Congress is going to impact, oh, I hate using that word as a verb, forgive me, is going to have an impact on our water supply. So we've got a lot to look forward to. Um, we have some great shows coming up, so please stay with us. And my thanks to my engineer, Joe Galarraga, to my sponsor, Fairway Market. I loved hearing Steve's new um, ad. And many thanks to you, Gary, for joining me on the show today. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. We're looking forward to everybody's support and help. Yeah, thank you. Okay, see you next week, folks, with Winona Howder. So long now. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.